0: If I just draw your attention back. <laughs> I'd say I'd just like to extend my welcome this morning. Um, especially if you're visiting, it's great to have you with us. Um, it is a very warm, sunny Sunday. Is anyone listening to me this morning? <laughs> no one wants to listen, do they? Will they turn the fans off? Who's in charge of the microphone? Kim we Have a bit more volume, please. Is that better? Higher, lower, higher, higher, lower. Is that okay? No, Kim, okay, gonna go up a little bit more. That's that's about as far as it'll go without being echoey. Is that better? No, it's not, it won't make a lot of difference, to be honest with you. Okay, good morning. It's great to welcome you. My name is Jem. I'm one of the elders here at Community Church Putney. Um, we've been doing a series um, in the Book of Corinthians, and over the summer we're sort of taking a break, and we're just really exploring things that we feel God has been laying on our hearts as a team of elders and, and others, so giving that opportunity to speak about what we feel God has been saying. And um, last week um, I spoke about King David. And uh, this week I'm also going to be speaking about King David, but a bit further on. So, if you've got a Bible, you may want to turn to the book of 1 Samuel, which is in the Old Testament. And this is... <coughs> this, the book of Samuel, there's two books, but it narrates the, the rise and fall of kings in the nation of Israel. So the first king is Saul, and, and then the second king is David. David becomes king during, during this narrative that we find in these two books. And um, I, I said last week that I just really f- felt challenged over the last few months about who God chooses. Who does God choose to be part of his family? Who does God choose to be part of his kingdom? And who does God choose to, to spread his kingdom wider across the nations? And um, last week, we were... Okay, is that it? Thank you. Yeah, okay. Is that better? So last week we were, um, we were looking at King David as a young man and how God chose a young man who was zealous for God, who had, he'd experienced God, he'd learnt from God, and he came and turned... massive situation that the God's people were facing. He he had a massive breakthrough in defeating a giant called Goliath. And as a result, the kingdom of of God expanded and the the enemies were vanquished. So that was King David as a young man. We looked at how we need young people who are sacrificially jealous and zealous for God to bring initiative. and and, And through that, we will see breakthrough in salvation, in healings. And so we're, we're looking to raise up young people who've got that passion and zeal for God, who've got ideas, and we're to release them to see breakthrough through the, through the kingdom of heaven. Um, the story we're going to look at today is a bit further on after that, so we've got this moment of wonder and glory, and, and then we come to a cave. We suddenly find David in a cave. In 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 1 to 2, which is the one I'm focused on today, it says, David, this is what happened to David. David departed from there. He had to leave his own country because Saul, the king, had become jealous of David. David had won this victory and people were saying, how amazing David is. We love David. Um, And the king was getting a bit jealous. He said, no, I'm the king. I'm really jealous of who David is. And so he actually set out to kill David. David was warned and he escaped. And it said, David escaped from there and he, and he escaped to a cave. A cave of Adalam. And when his brothers and his father's house heard of it, they went down there to him. And then others joined him. It said, everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander or leader over them. And there were with him about four hundred men. So this morning it might sound quite nice, might it's been a dark, cool cave. You may think, actually that's that's a good place to be. Um, but it wasn't for David. David had been said he was going to be king and yet he'd been chased away, and he finds himself <clears throat> in this dark, dark hole on his own. But then people start to gather to him. And with that group of people, what happens then is David comes to kingship as a result of this moment and the people that gather to him. And and he uses them, they they follow him. And what we see is later on a massive, massive change in the kingdom of Israel as David becomes king. But I don't know about you, but when you pick a team for a competition, who do you pick? I guess it depends, doesn't it, on what what the competition is. But if you're entering for a university challenge, Anybody been on University Challenge? Anyone asked, answered, been able to answer a right question if you've watched University Challenge? Have you? Oh, maybe we should get a team together. That'd be fantastic. we about five questions right in that respect. That'd be very good. So you would speak, pick someone, wouldn't you, who's probably really clever with a particular knowledge. If you're trying a tug-of-war competition, what you're going to do is you, you're going to get people who are pretty strong, aren't you? and pretty solid and pretty big and and pretty strong. You'd want to pick the strongest people. And if you want to fight for your kingdom, you probably want to pick the best fighters. The ones who are up for it, the ones who are full of encouragement, the ones who are full of faith, who said, come on, yeah, we're with you, David, we can do this. Ideally, you'd be looking for those who will help you win. But in this story about David, who does God bring to David? Who does God give to David to start rebuilding the kingdom? God has chosen his king and that's David and not Saul. He's made that clear. David is to replace Saul. And the people God brings to David do help him restore the kingdom. But when you look at this group of people, it doesn't look like they're the type of people who you would pick. To restore the kingdom of God who does, David, who does David gather? Well, David, first of all, it says his family comes to him. So David's got his, his family, his father's, <coughs> excuse me. And he um, says his brothers and his father's household. Why do they come? Well, they're at risk. They're at risk from Saul. Saul is persecuting David. Dave, Saul wants to kill David. But in that context, in that culture, you would then also wipe out the whole family. Okay? Um, so if you, because someone in that family would then take revenge. If someone had attacked David, it's your responsibility as part of the family to, to take action and take revenge. So Saul was looking to te- well, probably wipe out all of David's family to take away that risk. So they were, they were at risk, the family at risk. Saul had also put an undue burden of taxation and forced loyalty on the kingdom of Israel. If you didn't match up to his expectations or just his whim, if he decided to do something, or you did something that made him jealous, as David did, then you would be forgotten. You'd be discarded. You'd be cast out. You maybe wouldn't even be able to earn money. You'd be in debt. So those who were supposed to be under the protection and guidance of the king, they'd been given a heavy burden by the king who was supposed to look out for them. And that led to poverty. Can you imagine it led to bitterness of soul? But how can I break out from this? How can I get out from under this oppressive authority and regime? There's people who are bitter of soul. They were despondent, depressed. They saw no way out. They saw no hope in the place that they lived in. These people hear about David and where he is they hear about how David has been treated with Saul's jealousy, he's been cast out potentially murdered and they discover where he is and they come to David they come, I imagine, hoping to find some sort of comfort some sort of rest from what's going on they come to him, they come to, to David not in a rich palace or a temple that has everything they need but they come to him in a dark cave a place that seemingly has no hope or future. They gather to this king who's been thrown out in a cave in a dark place, but they come to him, they gather, they think, I've got nothing to lose. I've heard David's here, let me come. And how does David respond? How would you respond if, when you're picking your team for a tug of war, You've got nobody who looks very strong. Will you think, ah, I'm just going to give up? No point. Will you think, no, I'm going to stick to it? How does David respond? Can you imagine? David's at his lowest. He's at his lowest. He's had to leave his land, he's had to leave his family. He's on his own in this dark cave. Who would you want with you at that moment? You'd want those who could bring encouragement, maybe, wouldn't you? you want those who could support you. You want those, as we said, who would be strong and full of faith and encouragement to say, come on, David, we're with you to fight for your kingdom. But David, those, those sort of people don't come to David. And David's response is interesting. David doesn't say, oh, go away. I'm, I'm, I'm in a really bad mood, okay? You, you can't help. You're just going to be a burden to me. I've got enough trouble of my own without taking all your burdens on me, without taking your debt, without taking your bitterness and despondency and depression. He could have said that, couldn't he? He said, I'm in my own place. I can't help you. Just go away. But it's interesting it doesn't. It says in the version I just read out, it says, he gathered these people... So they gathered to him and it said he became commander over them. So David took leadership in this. He saw the... (coughs) Excuse me. He he, he must have had compassion on them. He takes charge of them and and provides a hope and a purpose for them. He provides a hope and a purpose for those who become disenfranchised and hopeless. He offers this vision of a new kingdom restored under his kingship. And it says he takes command over them. He says, I know what to do. I know the way out of this. Are you with me? He provides this. And how do the people respond? They don't come to argue with him and remonstrate with him or demand to know what he's going to do for them. It says they come and they submit to his leading and authority. So as David becomes commander, what that means is they listen to him and they follow him. That's what a commander does, is not it, over people. They gather people together, they provide a vision and a direction, and they tell people what to do and where to go. And the people, it seemed, submitted to that. They said, yes, we're going to listen to that. They joined with him. They gave themselves to him and said, Yes, you are our commander. They, that's that's a, a bit of submission there, really, isn't it? Saying, Yes, we're going to listen to you, David. Yes, we're going to allow you to lead us. Yes, we're going to commit to where you take us, even if it's going to take us into even harder places. We're going to commit to following you. So, really, what I want to look at this morning is that they joined with him, they learned from him, and they followed him. They joined with him in the cave. They learned to him by submitting to his authority, his rule over them, his his commanding, if you like, his being a commander over them. And then they followed him out of that cave. They didn't stay in the cave, they came out of the cave, out of that dark place, under the authority and leading of David, and and David became king of the kingdom later on in the story. So from this dark cave, the rejected, abused, a nearly murdered king of Israel. He gathers these disenfranchised, those considered outcasts, those considered failures, and with this transformed group of people under his leadership, they go on to restore the kingdom. They did this by being, by willing, being willing to listen and to follow David. There were still battles to come, there were still difficulties to come. In fact, it's not until David hears that Saul is dead that the true turnaround in in, in David's fortune and the kingdom of Israel happens. But under David's direction and care, they knew they could endure this because of the vision of this restored kingdom that David was offered them. God has chosen his son Jesus to be the true king of his kingdom. So King David was a a foretaste, if you like, of Jesus. So David was a king, it says, after God's own heart. David died, and his kingdom fell apart after his death. There was squabbling again in his kingdom after he died. But, but God has chosen Jesus to be his anointed true king of his kingdom. So, David gathered people. Who, who does Jesus gather? Jesus doesn't start as he comes to bring the kingdom of God to earth. That was his mission. He's going to bring the kingdom of heaven into earth. As David was looking to expand the kingdom of Israel at the time, Jesus is coming to build the kingdom of heaven under his authority and rule. And he comes to earth. And where does he go? Who does he choose? Who does he choose to gather to say, come on, come with me. We're going to see amazing things happen. He doesn't choose the social elite. He doesn't choose those who've got thousands of followers on TikTok. The influencers. He doesn't choose them. He doesn't choose the political elite and say, come on, you can shape the world around you. Come with me. He doesn't choose the ones in power. He doesn't choose the religious elite. He doesn't go to the priest and say, come on, you're the ones who are supposed to represent God's kingdom. Come and gather to me because we're going to do amazing things. He doesn't gather theological experts who are are knowledgeable in, in every little detail of the Old Testament law. He says he gathers fishermen. He starts to gather tax collectors, ordinary people who are trying to make ends meet under a government, they are powerless to influence. And a religious system that ties them up in knots, trying to do the right thing. In Matthew chapter eleven twenty-eight, 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Those who are oppressed, those who are struggling to forge ahead. Doesn't that sound a bit like the people David was gathering? And in John chapter 7, in verses 37 to 39, it says, On the last day of a feast, a special celebration in Israel, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. In an encounter with a rich man, the rich man is so burdened by the pressure of what he must do to inherit eternal life, this religious system, he's convinced that he's, he's managed to keep all the religious laws, yet he's still burdened that he's, he, may, he may have not done sufficient, I might have not done enough to please God. And so he comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says a very interesting thing. He said, have you, Love your your God, love your neighbor, look after your family. He goes, I've kept all those, but there's something else. What else must I do? Jesus says, Go and give away all your wealth. And then you'll be be all right. Jesus sees the burden of this man's wealth. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. This man was burdened by the the well, it was under the burden of wealth. It, It constrained him, it restricted him. so Jesus gathered all these people, those who are hungry, those who are burdened, those who are heavy laden, those who are under a, a system of a, of a pre- oppressive government and oppressive religion, that they just think, I have no hope. I have, all, it's all I can do to just get put food on my table for myself and my family. And Jesus says, come to me. Jesus says, come to me. He was doing amazing things. He was healing the sick. He was raising people from the dead. He was giving amazing teaching, and yet he gives this invitation to all these people. He says, come to me, you who are weary and burdened. Come to me, those who are thirsty. Come to me, those who are hungry. How does Jesus respond when people come to him? Well, he's giving an invitation to them, isn't he? What do you expect who's going to come to you? But Jesus, like David, doesn't respond with, no, go away. Your burden's too big for me. He doesn't say that. Jesus says in John chapter 6, he says in verse 35 to 40, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. So all those people that God is giving to Jesus to come under his authority and his leadership, God is giving them. And Jesus knows that none of them will be left out. Jesus won't cast any of them out. All those who come to him will know his presence. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on that last day. So Jesus recognizes this burden of oppressive religion, of a corrupt and powerful occupying power, and He offers comfort and security. Food, water, the things that people were striving for. He says, come to me, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I will never cast you out, as maybe the, pre- the priests have done when you've not, not been good enough. I will never cast you out when you can't pay your taxes, when you're, you're too sick to work, you're too disabled to get work. We don't see that, do we, with Jesus? What we do see is Jesus giving his spirit, the spirit of life to his people. You see, Jesus physically healing people who are under oppressive sicknesses and illnesses to say, I won't cast you out. In fact, I will heal you. In fact, in in that John, I will give you eternal life. So even though you do maybe struggle and and you you may have hardship now and you may, well, you will die physically, raise you up on the last. All those things that have oppressed you, you'll be free from completely. Jesus promises to be with us by his presence. I shall never leave you and not to lose any of those who join him. See, if you join with Jesus, you're not going to be cast out. You're not going to be left behind. Jesus is a good shepherd, it says. A shepherd who goes out to find the lost sheep. And Jesus knows that to achieve this, though, this complete freedom from these burdens... He has to lay his life down. As the stories of Jesus' power and teaching grows, like David, as the stories about David and his achievements grew, Saul became jealous. And as the stories of Jesus come and as people gather to Jesus, there are stories of him healing, there are stories of (coughs) him raising people from the dead. People are gathering to Jesus They're not going to the temple. Jealousy arises. And this jealousy gets to the point where, like David, they pursue Jesus. They want to kill Jesus. But unlike David, Jesus knows that he has to lay down his own life. He can't escape to a dark cave. Unlike David, he is caught and killed. And his body is assigned to a dark cave. And Jesus' followers, after his crucifixion, come to a dark cave, expecting to find a body. But what they find was an empty tomb. Jesus has left the dark cave and is in the city. They, Jesus has been raised from the dead and has gone into Jerusalem to show himself to his followers, to say, I'm no longer in a dark tomb. I have been raised to life. You saw me killed? You saw me put in a tomb, I have escaped that tomb. I've left the dark cave and I'm out of it. Excuse me. From a dark tomb, the rejected and and abused and murdered son of God, the Messiah becomes a true king of God's kingdom. And he gathers all those who are burdened under sin to give hope, the forgiveness of sin and to power to build the true kingdom of God. That's how Jesus responds. He responds by laying down his life. He gives up his life to release us from the burden of religious oppression, not being, never being good enough to please God. He gives the, the gift of eternal life, hope, future. The hope of a restored physical body with no sickness. The restore the the hope of a new kingdom under God's rule, one of grace and mercy and compassion and healing. He offers this. How are you going to respond to Jesus? David, the people David gathered, they let him become their commander. They trusted what he said. They believed in him. They joined him. They learned from him and they followed him. Jesus gives that same invitation. He says, come and join with him. Come and learn from him. And come and follow him. Come and follow him out of that tomb into the kingdom that he is establishing. Jesus says in Matthew 11, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, not like the people around him. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Are you joined with Jesus this morning? Have you got to that point where you think, I'm just so desperate, I'm thirsty and hungry to see righteousness happen? Are you joined with Jesus? He's the one who's overcome the authorities by overcoming death. Are you joined with Jesus this morning? Are you weary and burdened? Maybe you're bitter in spirit. Maybe you're really depressed this morning and think, I have no hope, there's no future. You may think, oh, what, what does my life have for me? I look at the news and I think, oh my goodness, there's nothing, there's nothing there for me. Is that you this morning? Jesus, has come and join with me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. We often carry yokes, don't we? We've mentioned the yoke of trying to please God. The yoke of, I must do better, as that rich man who came to Jesus said. I must do better. There must be something more I need to do because I don't feel secure. I don't feel that God loves me. So I must try and try and try to make God love me. There's nothing you can do to make God love you. God loves you. Simple as that. That's what the Bible says. says. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to dive in your place to take this burden away he carried the burden on the cross it says so you don't need to to think that I need to do better to to make God love me I need to do something else to make God love me because God loves you already he's demonstrated it already so God loves you we often carry the yoke of disappointment don't we things that have happened in the past things that we carry with us we think oh I, I can never do that again because look what happened last time Oh, I couldn't. I, I, you know, I, I, you asked me to do this, but I, I couldn't because I was so disappointed last time. It all fell apart. A wonderful story of a, a guy who went to plant a church in Australia, um, and this is just a few years back. And it, you know, the excitement of doing that, going out there, this sense of faith. He had to come back within two years, and then he sort of carried that disappointment for a while and, until so we just prayed with him and said, "Look." so what? it's not down to you it's down to God um, and he sort of and now he leads different churches all over he was he's restored but we can carry that yoke of disappointment can't we? past failures we can carry the yoke of other people's expectations that, oh yeah oh, oh, I can never be as good as them I'll never be as good as, what, as who they want me to be well God loves you God is at power in you you are special to God. The yoke of having to tell others about Jesus sometimes, isn't it? That can be a bit of a burden. Think, oh my goodness, I'm a Christian. I must tell people about Jesus. We can carry that yoke. But Jesus says, My yoke is easy. You don't need to work hard at it. I'm with you. We'll <laughs> do it together. The yoke of financial pressure. Which that, that rich man had. And so it affects our generosity. It affects how we relate to other people. Jesus says, if you're burdened by these things, come and join with me instead. Come and join with me, my yoke. I will give you rest for your souls. All these things that you carry, give them to me. I will join with you. That's what a yoke does. If you know what a yoke does, it um, it's, joins animals together so that they can work together. So there's no undue pressure on one or other of the animals. They work together to pull loads, to plow fields, to, to see things happen. So are you joined with Jesus? Maybe you need to do that for a first step and say, Jesus, I want to I follow you. I want to commit myself to you today. I'm worded, I'm, I'm I'm worded. I'm burdened. I'm weary. I just don't know where to turn. Jesus says, come and join me. All you are weary and burdened, join me. And maybe you, you need to respond to that this morning and say Jesus that's me I want to come and join with you simple as that it's just say, I'm joining with you Jesus okay I just want to join with you now maybe you've been a Christian maybe for a while but things have crept in other burdens other pressures and you've just turned away you're, you're not that joined with Jesus anymore you've gone off on your own You're saying, I'm I'm going to pull this cart on my own. Jesus says, no, come back to me. Come back, join with me again. Because my yoke is easy. Come back to me. Are you learning from Jesus? Are you making him the commander of your life? You can join with him. It's great. But Jesus says, come and join with me. My yoke is good. We'll join together. But then learn from me. Learn what it is to have a loving, gracious, all-powerful king as your commander. Come and learn what it is. We need to learn who Jesus is. We need to learn about him. Are you learning or you just say, I'm a Christian, I'm joined. Or are you committed to reading about him, looking in the Bible, being together with others who can encourage you and help you learn together? We need to learn what Jesus says about how we follow him. And then are we prepared to follow Jesus. Sometimes the darkness of the cave, this deceptive place, which on a day like this would be really nice, wouldn't it? Cool, sheltered, lovely place of rest maybe. But the deceptive comfort and safety compared to what lies outside, which we don't know about, that can prevent us, can't it, from taking a first step? We can be fearful and say, actually, I love my little bubble. I love my little bubble of being with Jesus. <laughs> I love my little bubble of um, my, 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 my close Christian friends who don't put pressure on me, who don't um, challenge me, who don't… I like that little bubble. It it's feels secure, it feels safe. And we need to step out of that cave. David's kingdom was not built in a cave. The people had to trust him and follow him. Yes, they came weary and burdened. Yes, they came bitter in spirit. Yes, they came in in poverty and depressed. But they came to David and he transformed them. He turned them around. He gave them hope. He gave them a future. And the same with those who come to Jesus. Yes, he says, come to me. Come to me. I will ease your burden. But then follow me. Come and build the kingdom with me. Jesus says, you will do even greater things than I when you join with me and follow me. What an amazing thing that we, as the kingdom of God, the people joined to Jesus, who follow him, who learn from him, who respond in faith and say, I'm not going to stay in my little bubble. I'm going to follow you out. I'm going to step out with you, Jesus. We will see greater things happen. We will see people healed healed. We will see people's lives transformed. We will see those who are despondent finding hope and faith. And they too will then go out. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. All these outcasts, you come to Jesus and they are transformed. Yes, there's still a lot of work to do, but Jesus is building his church. And the challenges that we face Jesus is with us in them. Jesus gathers the weak, the burdened, the despondent. He says, come and learn from me and you will see that as you learn and follow, Jesus is gentle, his burden is light and the compassionate king will give rest to your troubled and oppressed souls but also empower you to bring Jesus' kingdom to others. I could say a lot more about that. I'm going to ask the band up. There's things to respond to this morning, isn't there? If you think about good initiatives, how often do good initiatives start? Well, they often start with a group of people in a small room together, talking and planning and thinking. And someone thinks, that's a great idea, that's a great idea. Yeah, we can do this, we can do that, we can do that. Our family of churches, New Frontiers, came out of a group of people who saw that the church was stale. It was in a dark place. It wasn't moving forward in the way it should be. They saw the need to battle for the Bible, for the truth of what the Bible says. They saw the need <coughs> excuse me, to teach about the grace of God, the grace that lifts burdens from people and, doesn't, and takes away the oppressive religious system they fought for the active presence of the holy spirit the gifts at work today they gathered in a little room 60 odd years or so ago and out of that came a movement called new frontiers which is now worldwide in terms of bringing others to jesus starting a little bit, you know they had some of them had to leave their churches because it was very very difficult for them And we want other people to come and know jesus don't we we want to see people set free we want to see churches planted we want to see breakthrough in people's lives we want to see the work of the holy spirit 60 years later on we still need people to come and make jesus their commander and to go out with him to see nations changed this is phil's tuning i will say one more story Uh, and that is um, we were Praying for and, and hearing about a family that's going to um, a place in Baku. So, if you know where that is, that's Azerbaijan. And they went on an exploratory trip with some others. And while they, were, they themselves were welcomed individually, what they experienced was a real jealousy and bitterness between the different Christian communities there. There's a real, say, so you, you come and join us, but have nothing to do with them, okay? And they went to some other people and they said, oh, no, come and join us, but have nothing to do with them. Um, and you see, there's a need, isn't there, for this Jesus to unite people, those who are under jealousy to be set free, for churches to be established, that know the love and grace of God, that can bring people to Jesus. That's just one story. But it may not be your suit to go to another nation, but it may be down the road. Maybe Rehampton, Surbiton, Where's the place that God is wanting you to move and start something? To think, actually, I need to come out of my cave and step out. I love what Jane's done with the Singles Initiative, just gathering single people. God spoke to her. And she said, you know what? I see we need to do something for people who are single in the church, to gather them together, to encourage them, to, to lift them up, to help them know God and to let them know the purpose for God. She's done that. She's gathered people together. There's a team. There are others coming and they're doing an amazing job of real encouragement. Graham with Lighthouse and Serendipity. An idea of we need to gather people together. People who gathered to Graham and said, you know, we're battling with mental health illness. We need something to help us and support us. Lighthouse was birthed out of that. And we're still gathering people. On a Monday, there's things happening. We need to see more of it. Those of you who are depressed and despondent, come to Jesus. He will transform you and he will lead you. He will lead you to do great things for him because he empowers you.